0: Uh, Matthew chapter 7 is our passage of scripture for this morning, so if you wouldn't mind turning with me there, and while the kids go out, I uh, just want to ask your uh, prayers at we, as elders, went away this past Friday night and Saturday for a little time of seeking the Lord. We try to do this every end of every ministry year and the beginning, uh, looking forward to a new ministry year, is a time of seeking the Lord for what He would have us to do in the next ministry year, as well as reflecting back and thinking about all that God has done and over the course of the past year, and rejoicing and praising the Lord for uh, for that. And um, one thing that I'd just like to invite you to pray for, we'll share more in the weeks to come, but uh, pray. join us in praying that God would raise up uh, a, a godly, qualified, called man or two to help us in uh, serving as elder. And we are probably a couple of elders down, so we would love to have a, a two or so more men to serve. So if you would, just just join us in praying that God would raise up called and qualified elders and We also realize, uh, and maybe you've experienced this, Steve does a lot, and he does too much. And so we don't want him to get burnt out or overworked, and we need to to shift some of his responsibilities. We're praying through how best to do that. Join us in praying for wisdom there, Um, as well as wisdom praying for the upcoming ministry year. we begin now sort of looking out to, Lord, what do you want us to say yes to, and what do you want us to say no to? And there are lots of good things that we can do, but we want, uh, to my, my languages, we, we want God's ideas, not just good ideas, right? We can come up with all kinds of good ideas, but what are God's ideas for us in this new ministry year? So pray that the Lord would lead us there. And then um, lastly is just how do we as a, as a congregation be good shepherds, we elders, how do we exercise this role that we are called to, to be good shepherds to you, who Jesus loved and died for. Uh, we want to be good shepherds. And uh, that's a challenge in um, connecting, praying for you, meeting needs, helping get connected in life groups and so on. And that's another thing that we would ask you to, to pray for us about. We'll, we'll share more, but those are sort of the highlights that I'd like to begin to invite you to pray with us about. And so Matthew chapter 7, if you would go with me there. We're, we've been making our way through the Sermon on the Mount. This morning, we come to the first six verses of chapter 7, and really the question is to judge or not to. Uh, Jesus brings us up, and so we have to answer the question and figure out what is being said, what's not being said. And essentially, what I think the, the Lord would invite us to do is to, to contemplate the difference between judgment and discernment. What, what's Jesus prohibiting and what's not being prohibited and how do we understand the difference of those two things and so the difference between judgment and discernment is what I, I think we're being invited to consider and, and so I'm just going to pray and I, I would like you to pray with me that the Lord would help us here now, Father we we know that you want to transform us we know that we can come to you as we are We can come to you in any way, wherever we are, whatever is happening in our lives. You allow us to come to you. And Jesus, you invite us to come to you. And we do. This morning, we do. We want to come to you and invite you to transform our hearts. Would you change us in the ways that we need to be changed? Each one of us. Your work is constant in creating yourself, your image within us, and to cause us to look like you and to live like you and to love the same things that you love and to hate the things that you hate. And Lord, I pray that you'd do that within each one of us this morning. Would you continue your work? And sometimes we need to hear things. We need to understand rightly what your expectations are and what your calling is, as well as the provision that you have given us. And I, I pray for understanding Would you let us hear what we need to hear and see what we need to see? Lord, I also pray for the provision of your spirit to us. Would you pour out your spirit on us even now as we think and consider your words? And Lord, apply to our hearts in in only the deep and real ways that you can by your Holy Spirit. Would you change us and soften our hearts towards you and towards others and Transform us in ways that need to happen and that only you can do. And please, Father, soften our hearts so that we don't resist you. Let us be tender-hearted, Lord Jesus, towards you and toward the calling that you have put on our lives. Calling to be holy and to glorify your name throughout this globe. And so I, I ask for help. Let us be humble before you. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's read the first six verses that we're going to consider, and then we'll think about them together. Verse 1, Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. So why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. And so we've we've been making our way through um, the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning of Chapter 6, we see Jesus give us a principle and then explain it. He's doing exactly the same thing here. In chapter 7, he's laying out a principle which relates to judging, and now he's going to explain it. And, and we've seen this again and again. He, he puts out before us something he's calling us to, and he's calling his disciples to do. So this is for followers of Jesus. Jesus is, is sharing this sermon to believers This is not for the world. It's not for unbelievers. It's for us who would say we are his people. He is calling us to a kind of obedience. And so as we've been following him unfolding this principle, it really has to do with the heart. He's deeply concerned about what goes on in your heart down into the core of your being and he, he talks about how you practice your religion back in chapter 6. So he says, don't, don't just merely do things to impress people, because God knows your heart. So whether you're giving alms, whether you're sharing your material wealth with people, or, or whether you're praying, or, or whatever you're doing, in, in all that you do, do it in such a way that the Lord knows your heart. And then he, he concludes a couple of weeks ago, we talked about even what's the treasure that we have serving God uh, or mammon or wealth or material possessions is what that really amounts to. And he's calling us to consider who's your God? Who are you really worshiping? What's your deepest priority and your highest value? What do you treasure most? And, and if we treasure things of this world, Jesus went on to say at the end of chapter six, your life will be filled with stress and anxiety. And yet, if you serve God and put him first, everything that you need, you will find given to you. So again, we find what's at the heart. What's going on in your heart? And we ask the question, why do we go on mission trips? Because it make us feel better? Is it to give us some little blessing to say, wow, look what I've done for the Lord. Is, it, is, it, is this boasting We're asking the real question in everything that we do, what's going on in your heart? Is because you love the name of Jesus and cherish the name of Christ and believe that He alone is the means of salvation? Is that why we're doing what we're doing? Are we doing to impress people or assage our own consciousness? Because we think we get spiritual points with God. Are we earning his favor? This is what God is calling us to do. And so when we find our way into chapter seven, something very similar is going on because Jesus is now asking us, what is happening in your heart related to judging? Because, That's something what what he's talking about here. We do a lot of, even if you never speak of it, you might say, well, I am not a judgmental person. I'm not, I'm not judging. I don't, I don't, I don't make those pronouncements, but in your heart, you could be a little inner lawyer all day long thinking up things to accuse and condemn. And, uh, and so what's going on in your heart? Jesus is deeply concerned with what's happening in your heart deeply, deeply concerned with what's going on in the inner person. What is happening inwardly is a lot of what we're seeing here. So verse one, Jesus says, judge not that you not be judged. And it it kind of struck me. I think this might be the most well-known Bible verse today used to be growing up, I would, you know, watch Monday Night Football, and you could see John 3.16 everywhere. John 3.16 used to be the number one verse. I think that everybody quoted. Every end zone had somebody. I don't know if they paid people to go stand up with John 3.16 signs. I'm not quite sure. But forever, that was the verse that everybody knew. We we see it at football games. We see it at the World Series. It was somehow somebody behind home plate standing up with a John 3.16 sign or something like that. And then we, you know, we bump into Tim Tebow and Tim Tebow's got it plastered on his cheeks, right? He became famous for John three sixteen. That used to be talking about God's love. What does John three sixteen say, right? Do you, does everybody know it? I mean, maybe we don't even know it anymore, but right? God so loved the world. He gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life, right? There's a, a sense of God's love for this world and his provision for salvation that used to be a dominant message message. But somewhere along the way, when we want to live our own lives without any accountability to the Lord, uh, we begin to quote other verses in the Bible, which affirm what we want to hear. And so we hear verses like, don't judge, right? Jesus said, you shall not judge or you'll be judged. And so stop judging me. Don't tell me what to do. It's interesting how we can conveniently co-opt Scripture in order to affirm our own personal preferences. And so we need to understand what is, what is Jesus saying? Because sometimes people who would tell us the Bibles shouldn't be taken literally at all uh, are quite adamant in affirming that this passage that Jesus said should be absolutely taken literal, so don't judge me. So what is Jesus prohibiting? What is He actually saying? Is He saying that we are never... To make any kind of judgments that that's contrary to the nature of God and the call for one another? What does it mean to live in a church? Are we supposed to make judgments with each other? What, what, What are we supposed to do when we're sliding into the slippery subtlety of sin? When you see that happening in the life of a church member, and I'm talking about a church member... Uh, not an attender, someone who's out part or on the edges, but how do we as church members relate to each other? I, I remember a season in my life when the subtleties of sin were loud and attracting my attention. And I was a little bit off of where I needed to be and confused about it, willing to ignore what I knew to be God's intention and purpose. And I had a brother who said to me in a letter, dear Todd, uh, I'll summarize your, are off base. I, I see you drifting. I think your spiritual vision is cloudy and you need to confess. And then he told me what I needed to confess. He got my attention. Where's the place of that in our lives? Do you love someone enough? And I mean love, not condemn. Love and someone enough. When you see someone sliding spiritually, do you have permission to speak into their lives? That's part of the distinction of covenant church membership at this church. You, you, you have to go through a class and sign a covenant to agree. I'm a member of this church. And part of what that means is we give each other permission to speak into each other's lives in order to help us on our way to heaven. Heaven is a community project. We won't get there without each other. And and that's why we're born into the body of Christ. We need to be connected to each other. But how do we do this? This is part of what Jesus is saying. What's happening in your heart? What's the difference between judging and and discerning? This is a little bit awkward, right? Because Jesus just goes straight to the heart of the issue. And is he prohibiting all kinds of judgment? Some people would say that. If he is, then I wonder... Is he so unaware of what he's saying that he almost immediately contradicts himself? If you look at verse five, you'll see an interesting word. You hypocrite. What does that sound like? Is that a friendly passerby greeting on the sidewalk? Good morning, you hypocrite. How are you? Uh, No, that's a kind of judging word that Jesus says. And so he says, you hypocrite, he's making some kind of judgment here. So I don't think Jesus is so unintelligent to say in one sentence, do not judge so that you won't be judged and then turn around in the next sentence and a half and say, "Uh, by the way, you're a hypocrite. So something he's allowing for, we have to understand what he's saying and he's making some kind of judgment. He does the exact same thing at the very last verse that I read. If you look at verse 6, this an incredible verse, which he says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. If he's prohibiting all kinds of judgment, then how do you understand this verse? How do we know what's holy? There's a kind of judgment that is called for here. How do we discern what he means by who's a pig and who's a dog? How do we discern who should be given whatever we ought to be given about holy and what should not be given? This is a definite call for some kind of judgment. So on again, at the very end of the chapter in verses 15 to 20, Jesus says the exact same thing about discerning, judging the difference between true and false prophets. Listen to what he says. Verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits or grapes gathered from a thorn bush or figs from thistles. The answer is no, of course not. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Neither can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by your fruit. Jesus is calling for some kind of judgment here. How do you tell the difference between a false teacher and a right teacher, a true teacher? How do you how do you tell the difference between a good tree and a bad tree? You respond differently to each of them. Good tree, eat the fruit. Bad tree, stay away from it. Good tree needs to be cultivated and given room and grow and flourish. Bad tree, cut down, thrown into the fire. That's some kind of judgment. Jesus is calling for some kind of judgment here, and we have to understand what he's meaning. Jesus also later in Matthew 18, again goes back to this notion of how do we discern where we stand with each other? Is it a kind of judgment or a kind of standing for each other? Matthew 15 uh, 18 verses 15 to 17, talks about how do you respond to a church member? who is in living in sin, someone sins against you. Jesus says in Matthew 18, if someone sins against you, you go to that person and have a private conversation. And, I, and by the way, footnote, if, if we would all abide by this wisdom right here, about 90% of church disagreements and, and differences would go away. If we would go and if you've offended me, you've sinned against me, have a private conversation. I, 90% of the time we could work it out. But nobody ever goes to that step. Because you presume it's not going to go well. And Jesus does not say, if somebody sins against you, if you think it's going to go okay, then you go and talk to them. He said, go and talk to them. Go have a conversation. If that doesn't work, invite a friend or two to sit down and have a conversation. If that, if that doesn't yield repentance and reconciliation, and a person persists in their sin then you need to invite the whole church into the conversation. Uh, it, what he's saying is as church members, that's that calls for a discernment, a, a kind of judgment. It's not the kind that Jesus is prohibiting because he's here commanding it. And so I, what I'm thinking is the, the kinds of judging that we see here doing it, we, we should probably think of it as discernment. And once we get to the definition of the word, I think we'll see what's happening. But he says, Jesus says, if, if you go through all of those steps and a person continues to stay in their sin, even though the church would now have been brought into the situation and would say, this is a sin you need to turn from it. If there's no repentance. Jesus said, put him out. Remove him from the congregation. That's a kind of judgment. And Paul affirms the exact same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. An unrepentant church member, we're talking about a church member, a person who calls himself a Christian. If that person continues to live in unrepentant sin, Jesus says put him out. Paul affirms the same principle. 1 Corinthians 5. Paul uh, addresses a situation in this church in Corinth of a man who was having a sexual relationship with his stepmother. And so Paul's conclusion about this situation is uh, verse two, which have first Corinthians five. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. And then on down to verse 12. For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? It is not. uh, Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those who are outside, so purge the evil person from among you. Well, is is Paul contradicting Jesus, or is Paul have the right understanding of the kind of judgment we're called to do that is affirming what Jesus is saying? And so what's the difference? So maybe we should have a, a little bit of a... A kind of an understanding of the definition of judgment because Jesus is here he's not forbidding all kinds of judgments. He's actually commanding some of them, some kind of judgment Jesus is commanding. So the, the definition of the word judge might be helpful. It really means to come to a conclusion, kind of a final conclusion to, to make up one's mind. It's also used in the context of a, a determined guilty verdict. Where this person is determined guilty, liable of punishment, and even condemnation. And I think part of what we need to embrace and understand the difference between the judgment that is forbidden is judgment carries a kind of final determination. It's, it's an, the end of the matter. I've made up my mind. I've made a conclusion. And so when we do that kind of thing that doesn't allow for spiritual growth or change or repentance, that is what Jesus is. We have to do that. We have to discern that kind of thing. But to stand in a place of final condemnation of someone in he or she has done this, he's a bad guy. Never going to be any change. Uh, That is is a final kind of determination about the person that we are to avoid. Because God can be gracious with pouring out his spirit with all of us, and change can happen. But if we decide, you know, that Alex Cravens, he is, I, 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 he is deceptive. Uh, he's just, he's a bad apple. We have all kinds of phrases that we use. I'll pick, it's Father's Day, I can pick on my son, Right. He'll grab me with some duct tape later and get me back. But when we make a final determination, I don't, I don't trust him. I'm never going to trust him. He's not trustworthy. That kind of final determined uh, conviction that doesn't allow spiritual growth in someone or doesn't allow the spirit of God to move, that's the kind of thing that I think Jesus is saying, don't do that. That, that is not your place to say This person or that person is, he's just, you fill in the blank. But discernment, do I as a father need to make a judgment about Alex Cravens on, he's been cheating on the last four tests. I I need to have a conversation with something's going on, right? We're called to make those kinds of discernments all the time. How can we rightly relate to one another if we don't rightly discern where we stand? But if I, if I make a judgment about my son, he is unworthy to be my son. He's a, he's a a waste of life. That is the kind of thing Jesus is prohibiting. Determinative final judgments that don't allow for spiritual growth or transformation, but discernment. We are called to make all the time. So there is a kind of judgment that we are called to make. For example, who are you going to let watch your kids when you go on a date night on Friday night? You need to make a judgment about what kind of babysitter that you are going to invite into your home to watch your kids. Or who are you going to hire at work? You need to make a judgment, right? Is this person going to work here? That's that's a kind of of judgment. Or we might say, that's a discernment. So avoid what Jesus is saying. These these kinds of final declarations that don't allow for God to work. Don't do that. And there's a reason why. But discerning what is happening in a person, yes. Jesus even commands this kind of judgment, which I'm, I'm saying is probably better thought of as discernment. John 7, 24. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And that's a command of Jesus. I'm assuming he doesn't contradict himself by what he's saying in Matthew seven and here. So what is he saying is judge rightly, make accurate assessments, discern, or to say it again, judge rightly. So why should we avoid that final kind of judgment? It is because at verse two, Jesus says, the way you judge people is the way you're going to be judged. Verse two. With the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So, are you ready? If you're going to make, if you're going to be the kind of person who judges, then the question for you is: Am I going to? Am I willing to apply what standard I am giving to other people to myself? Because one day God will. If, if I'm a kind of person who judges people, whatever metric you're using. He says, one day you stand before God, God will apply to you the same metric that you've been applying to others. So don't be that kind of judgmental person that finally decides on someone because you're presuming you know everything, right? Determinative judgments about a person's character, heart, or life. You assume you have all the information. You don't. Only God does. And we have an inherent problem in making those determinative, definitive judgments. It's, we have bad vision. Verses 7 and 3, uh, three or, uh, 7, 3 to 4. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Uh, many of us, our spiritual gift is finding faults in others. And so we're pretty skilled at that. In fact, what what Jesus is saying is, it's part of the broken human condition to visibly see everybody else's faults, but fail to realize our own. That is a problem for making right judgments. Jesus never had that problem, and so his discernments were right and true. And so we need to realize, I, I A... Tend to see myself in a more favorable light, and I tend to see others, we all do this, in a more disfavorable light. That inhibits right discernment. And so we are called to realize the problem. We need help in judging rightly and making the kinds of discernments. And that's why Jesus uses the word in in verse 5 you hypocrite. So does Jesus mean, avoid any kinds of discernment, any kind of, 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 of judging that's rightly based upon where a person is. Avoid it. Just, just don't even make those kind of declarations. Get it out of your language. Is that what he's saying? Look at verse 5. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of someone else's. So the calling is, if you want to rightly help one another, if we want to be good helpers of each other on our way to heaven, we need to take care of our own hearts. We need to examine inwardly our own soul before we're going to try to help someone else. So for example, I have an eye for messy computer screens. I I, I can't stand fingerprints all over computer screens. I mean, why are you touching them? It's not a touch screen. And so, but, I can see that very easily but if I'm really going to help someone with that kind of issue, I first, I need to take out and make sure I've got my glasses clean because it might be fingerprints all over my glasses, right? And the question is, are we willing to do some spiritual cleaning of our own eyes before we presume to be helpful to others? That's, that's the invitation today. The point of this passage is for Jesus to say, you need to probe your Heart. It's not, don't ever make any kind of of declarative statement to anyone. Don't ever say to anyone, do you know that's a sin? That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, take care of your own house, your own soul, so that you can be helpful to others. So clean out your own life, your own situation. Get rid of the sin in your own heart. If you want to be used by God to foster holiness in other people, then embrace holiness at home. Don't presume upon others. So this is not a call for no judgments. It's a first a call for personal judgment. What is happening within me? I need to clean my house and then I can be helpful to others. And I I remember one time having an argument with a close group of friends of mine, about five or six of us, and two guys were like head to head in this theological debate. And one of them said, You know, I would ask you to help me get this toothpick out of my eye, but I'm afraid you'd knock my head off with that two before in yours. And and so the question is can you go home and, and do some evaluation of our own hearts? As Christians, if we're going to be helpful in standing for truth, we first need to be sure that we're embracing truth at home and in our own hearts. So Jesus is not saying, don't ever tell anyone what sin is. He's saying, you better apply the standard that you want for the world to your own heart. Rigorously, honestly, and deeply, in order first, before you can help somebody else clean up their own problems. So this is a call for us to say, okay, I, I, I'm not going to make definitive, determinative judgment. That guy, man, he's, he's got a criminal record. No way I'm hanging out with him. Or they, that person, they're divorced. They ruined their life. No way. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not having dinner with them. Those kind of definitive, rude person. Don't make those kind of judgments. Let God will stand. We, each of us will stand before God one day. But are we to be discerning about each other? Absolutely. And the the first call then is, what do you discern about the state of your own soul today? Where do you stand? Because in judging, we cannot help but think, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was judged by God as guilty. And so he died on the cross under a judgment of condemnation. Death is required for sinners. And yet, Jesus did not sin. He never sinned. He bore condemnation of God's righteous and just judgment so that those of us who would put our faith in him wouldn't have to. Jesus is the only shield for avoiding a a judgment of condemnation from the creator of this universe because he was condemned. He bore it on our behalf. And so, if we understand what Jesus has accomplished, which is freedom from condemnation, then A, we won't be condemning to other people because we we ourselves know, if it was not for Jesus, I am a condemned man. If it was not for Jesus, I'm on death row. I, I am, my life is over if it was not for Jesus. And yet, our sweet Savior said, I know you're under condemnation and I'm willing to die for you. I am willing to die in order to set you free from living under the condemnation of sin. That's what Jesus has done. And so if he has granted grace to us, how can we refuse to grant grace to others? Are we to be discerning? Yes, absolutely. We need to know how to talk to people. That's a kind of judgment, but it's not the judgment Jesus is prohibiting. It's not a final declarative statement that does not allow the transforming work of God's Holy Spirit to move. And yes, that news about what Jesus has accomplished on the cross is necessary to take to Ecuador and to every other uh, country on the planet in order to share the gospel. We need that message going out to China. We need to go into India. We need to go to Southern California and to the Philippines and Hawaii and every place else on the planet. So we love missions at this church. We love to be part of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth because only Jesus can atone for the sins of lost people. Only through him can we escape the condemnation of our Lord, of of a righteous God because of our sins. So I, I ask you, where do you stand in relation to Jesus? Have you surrendered to him? Have you let him bear the condemnation? Has he given you his Holy Spirit? Have you surrendered your life to him and admitted he's the only holy person on the planet? It is only in Christ Jesus that we can have life. And is there anything that needs to be cleaned up? Many of us have been walking with the Lord for a long time. What needs to be changed in our own hearts this morning? What needs to be cleaned? Where's the fingerprints on the glass of your soul that needs to be cleaned? Jesus says, if you confess your sins... God is faithful and just to forgive you. We started the service with confession. And I want us to end it with confession as well. Because I I know that the cleansing that can come through faith in Jesus is a kind of cleansing that sets you free from the dominion of sin. And some of us struggle with thinking, I'll I'll never overcome this. I will never get out of the grip of this sin. And I would say to you, Jesus can break any bond you think you're under. He has risen from the dead. There is nothing that can hold him. And if you're in Christ, then there is nothing that will hold you so strongly as the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, our faith is in you. Our confidence is in you. And I have two people in mind in this room. It's those of us who know you and are walking with you. And we need a, a fresh application of your cleansing grace. We confess our sins. And we have fallen short in so many ways. And yet, Lord Jesus, we, we ask you, would you be gracious to us? Would you be kind and once again apply the freshness of your forgiveness apply to our souls that cleansing act of loving grace which reaches out and grabs us and pulls us in like a, like a father pulling in a child and saying, I love you, I forgive you. Would you do that to us again? And Father, for those who, who don't yet know where they stand with you, I, I pray that even now, the invitation that Jesus said, if you will come to me, I will never cast you out. And I will will receive all whoever comes to me. The love of God is so manifest to this world in Christ Jesus because of his death and his resurrection. Lord, I pray that those who are wondering if they can stand in a relationship with you would, through Jesus, fly to you even now and say, save me, Father, cleanse me. Bring me into your family pour out your spirit on me and help me to walk in holiness. And Lord Jesus, let that be the cry of all of our hearts. It is only through you that we can walk in the holiness that you have called us to. And so we, we worship you. We look to you for grace and love and forgiveness. So please don't let us be judgmental in our hearts in a way of of making final kinds of declarative statements about people that, that prevent or ignore the reality of your transforming spirit. Soften our hearts, Lord Jesus. Transform us evermore into your image. And in you, Christ Jesus, we can be made new. And I thank you for that sweet promise that you change and grant life to those who come to, do, to you in faith. So Lord Jesus, let us worship you in song right now and may in our hearts and souls and minds we flee to you both for forgiveness and for acceptance and for cleansing. In Christ Jesus' name I pray, amen.